to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host today. And where does the time go? It's been two weeks since the last uh, podcast, which was was on the CPI day. And um, it, it does seem like sometimes the, the, the whole calendar year just rushes at me and and you look up and you look down and, and two weeks have passed, but it's, it's time for another podcast. And, and, uh, and today I want to actually uh, sort of hearken back to a couple of episodes ago, my episode 37, talking about the bad idea of the year, wage and price controls. And, uh, and I had somebody write to me uh, shortly after that episode and, and ask a very pertinent question that I thought was probably worth a little more illumination um, on this topic. Um, and then, so as I was, I was planning to do this last week and, and never got around to it. And in the meantime, another good idea for a podcast came over the transom. So, um, you know, you kind of go dry for a bit and nothing happens and you miss a, a couple of weeks with a podcast and then all of a sudden you've got all kinds of ideas. And that's just the way I've been a writer for a long, long time. It's the way writing works. And, and I guess the, the whole creative process works that way. But anyway, in that episode, which, which was a, I think a pretty good episode. Um, and, and just to sort of briefly sum up, you know, the question, uh, something which scares me a little bit right now is that we've seen in a couple of, um, widely read news outlets over the course of this year, we've we've seen trial balloons floated about whether or not uh, the Biden administration should impose essentially price controls on certain areas of the economy, and and so I, I did an episode on why that's a really bad idea, and and the analogy I kind of gave about the price system uh, was that of a seesaw or a teeter totter, where. On one side of that teeter-totter sits all the buyers. On the other side sits all the sellers. And in the balance, the fulcrum is, is price. And if you suddenly have lots more buyers on one side, then, then the price needs to adjust in order to balance that equation. So that was the basic, um, the basic analogy that I gave. It's a simple analogy, but you, can, you, you kind of get the, the idea. And anyway, this this listener writes and 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 says, okay, you know, here's an issue that I've never heard really discussed in the free market uh, setting a price level. And and so the metaphor he gave was that on one on the supply side of the teeter totter, there's ten pounds of butter. Uh, on the demand side, there are ten buyers each with one dollar in their pocket. So the price of a pound of butter, you know, ends up being a dollar. Um, which is not exactly exactly how it works, but that, that's sort of a useful way to think about it. Uh, then, it, but then his question continues. Now, if a hundred buyers show up each with a dollar in their pocket, and the price of butter is a dollar, but supply uh, supply falls short, um, then then the fulcrum moves. But what if there's there's are still ten buyers? Uh, nine of whom have a dollar and one guy has a hundred bucks in his pocket. So that one guy bids the the price of butter up to ten dollars uh, and takes all ten pounds home. And so the question was, gee, you know this is kind of how this listener thought, you know th this is where we are today with 
with endless rounds of QE that a small select group of people have lots and lots of money and can bid up prices to wherever they wanted. And, uh, and everyone else is kind of priced out. And he wanted my sort of opinion on this thing. And so here's what I, here was my response to him. My first point is that, that this is the way the price system is supposed to work. The marginal buyer, and, and, and we might hate, there are people out there who hate capitalism and they hate the way the price system works. But, you know, as, as has been said about democracy being the worst system except for all the others, there, we haven't found a better system for allocating resources than, than capitalism now, in, in terms of economic efficiency. Now, you might argue um, in, normative, in normative terms that, that an efficient economy isn't what we should be striving for, but a just economy, an equal economy, whatever. Totally different question. Okay, and that's not the question I'm addressing. I'm, a, I'm addressing the question of in a capitalist system, under a free price system, uh, allocating resources in the best possible way, um, how should it work? Because the argument isn't that, oh, we should have these price controls because it's more, you know, um, it's, it's uh, more fair. The argument is that that, that would be good um, for for everybody at the end of the day. Um, and, and that's not, not true. So anyway, so the, the way the price system is supposed to work is that the marginal buyer who has the highest value for the product is the one who pays the most and therefore gets the product. And that's really important because that means the production of resources goes to the highest valued uses. And so that's the way you get the most out of the resources in your economy is you let the people who need oil the most because they're producing something that, you know, is has a super high value for that oil, they pay for the oil. And so the economy gets this super high valued thing out of it. And it isn't just because they think that that's the most super high valued thing. And so they just grabbed all the oil. It's because, again, with a free price system, that product that they're producing is you know, people, consumers are paying a whole lot for that product. And so that's what gives that the high value. So the whole thing cascades down so that we allocate resources in, in the correct way. This sort of the point 1A here is that the butter producer responds to this. From one guy walking up and buying 10 pounds of butter and nine people have no butter. The butter producer responds to this by making more butter in the next period. Um, he, he finds that there's too much demand for butter. And we only had 10 pounds, but next time I'm going to have 15 pounds and sell more butter. That's only a problem if the butter buyer was artificially stimulated to buy the butter. So there was government money dropped in. And so there's a false price signal that the guy who walked in with the, with the hundred bucks didn't really, it wasn't real. He's not going to have a hundred bucks next period. He only had it this time because he got, you know, a butter subsidy. And, and so you can get a, a kind of a perverted signal in the price system. So that would be bad. And yet another reason you don't want to do just you know, random money drops and subsidies of things because you kind of, you kind of pollute the signal that you're giving to producers. My next point is that, you know, recognize that this is also an incomplete picture of the price system. If you're just talking about the, the one butter buyer buying all the butter, um, 
and and so lots of people are left without butter. That's sort of an incomplete picture because the 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 butter seller now has that money, now has that money to spend um, or save, and and does. And so the the one dollar guys who got no butter and and are going to starve or at least have butterless bread. Um, it's not the end of the story because there's that money does not stop as soon as the butter purchase is made. The money comes back around through the system. And so those people eventually get money back through the system or they get other resources and, and so on. So it's not, you know, we get, we get very turned around in, in, in economics when we look at static pictures for what is a dynamic and an ongoing game. Um, and by the way, this is true of all game theory. If you look at one solution to a game, you get very different answers than if you have a game that's played multiple times. And that is what the, the whole price system, that's what the whole economy is. It's an ongoing set of these transactions. And and the equilibrium works out well, again, unless you have somebody in there who's, you know, pushing down on the teeter-totter artificially. And, and by the way, we've We've all, if, you, if, you, if, you've, if you've ever been on a seesaw, you've sort of seen this effect, right? Because some, some joker will always come over and like grab one in and push it down hard. And, and, and then the other side goes flopping back to the ground and, and, you know, and then they fall off and then the other side falls down. So you always get those kind of crazy things. That's what happens when you, you suddenly throw in extra weight somewhere onto that system that's very delicately balanced. But anyway, it's an incomplete picture of the system because after that guy walks away with all the butter, the seller walks away with a lot of money, a lot more money than he, he, he would have had. If he sold 10 pounds at $1, he walked away with 10 bucks. Instead, he walks away with, with $100, but now he has more money to spend and that money comes back through the system, which of course, that is the purpose of the government money drops is that that, system, that money eventually finds its way around the system. Um, now there's a a corollary to sort of that point, which is that that's true unless that money is then taken back out of the system in by the central bank, in which case uh, the the price level eventually go the prices eventually go back to their previous level because that hundred dollars that's cycling around the system um, gets gradually drained and ends up being ten dollars again, and everybody's got a buck in their pocket and they all buy butter for a buck. Um, if it was just some rich guy who decided that he liked butter um, and there wasn't an artificial stimulation of butter demand, then the guy who has the highest valued use of the butter gets the butter. And that's the way it's supposed to work. And that's not a bad thing unless somehow that person's desire for butter is unimportant or we decide that we'd rather as a society that everybody has butter and one guy shouldn't hog all the butter. And that sounds reasonable. Uh, but that's that's normative economics. That's not positive economics. Um, we can either fix the price in that circumstance, or we can establish a quota, or we can just have the government buy all the butter and distribute it. Um, there are are other ways that we might argue are more just. I would I, I in, in my opinion those aren't necessarily more just because somebody is still making the decision of who gets the butter. It's just that it's a couple of smart people in Washington, supposedly, that's handing out all the butter rather than the, pus the price system making the 
the allocation. Speaking of which, there's an excellent book by Thomas Sowell um, called Vision of the Anointed, which kind of goes into that that point, really, that um, uh, a system whereby you know government allocates resources is is not only less efficient, it's also unjust. Uh, because you're sort of relying on a small group of people to be just plain smarter than the aggregate amount of everybody else. And getting back to the point about what the price system is supposed to do, if in the case where, where we set a price or set a quota and distribute all the butter uh, and the butter producer gets his what he's supposed to get, according to the, the smart people, um, Another thing that we lose is that we lose the signal. We lose the signal to the producer that more butter is desired. And so that's a problem. And so a system where you start setting quotas so or distributing the, uh, the resources of society and distributing them around is, is a system which also requires people uh, in important places to go and tell you how much to produce of all these things and to substitute their guess for what society needs and should have for what the price system was telling everybody uh, that the society needs and should have. At the end of the day, it comes down to whether you want a couple of smart people sitting around and doing it or whether you want the entire mass of people distributing uh, with their collective wisdom, providing all the signals to distribute the resources of society around. Now, there is a reasonable argument to be made that we are not in that kind of system. We are not in a pure capitalist system anymore um, that that many of these signals are are polluted by the government requirements, um, by redistribution, um, in all kinds of ways. and and that so the example that I have given and the explanation that is typically given about the importance of the price system in a uh, capitalist society um, is, is off the mark. That in fact, the the system has become imbalanced um, maybe because of things we've done or because of things we didn't do and that the government needs to step in and just rebalance it a little bit. If you're going to make an argument that the price system doesn't work and is inefficient and is wrong in some way, then you have to posit that the that there is an information inefficiency because if there is an information inefficiency, meaning that some people in society know, uh, have, have information about where something is produced or how much should be, uh, what it should be priced at, um, what the value of this thing is, and other people don't know that, then, you know, that's one of the assumptions of, of, you know, basic economics is that everybody has all the available and necessary information to make a decision. And if that's not entirely true, there's an argument. And it turns out that you actually have to have a whole lot of information efficiency. You, you can show that even with some information inefficiency, the system still works. But but that's the argument, as if, as if in fact, there is some, some basic fundamental flaw in information flow then there's a role for government to to help even out the information flow. 
And that's really the role. The role is not necessarily to say, well, we're a government, we have all the information, therefore we make better decisions. Really, the solution there is that government should make sure that everyone has all the available information, which is why you have things like the Consumer Product Safety Commission and, and things like that, making sure everybody knows which things are safe and unsafe and how much fat is in this and how many calories and this, that, and the other thing. There's a role there so that everybody has all the right information. Um, once you start saying that, hey, this product has too much fat, and so you shouldn't be having it, and so we're going to set the price really high. Um, or you're saying, like in, like with old Mayor Bloomberg in New York, that you know you you can't serve a 64 ounce soda because it's got you know it'll make you fat. Um, then you start you start running into away from sort of an information curing an information inefficiency curing position to to being you know socialist overlords. Um, like everything else, this is a continuum. And when you get to the point, and this was, was I guess, the point of my episode 37, when you get to the point where you're fixing wages and prices, then you are very far down the socialist side of things. And historically, those arrangements don't tend to work out. Uh, they tend to end up with more poverty and more power concentrated in the hands of even fewer than, than capitalist societies. And again, with the caveat that a, a true capitalist society allows failure, they allow you know, big, big companies to fail, small companies to fail, they allow bankruptcies, they allow bad things to happen because that's part of the signal that goes on. And we really, again, you can argue that we don't have that, that system, especially at the, at, the, uh, at the level of very large uh, conglomerations of, of economic power. So anyway, that was, um, uh, th this entire podcast was the result of a listener who wrote in with a question, had a good question. I thought I had a decent answer and I, something that was worth clarifying. And so I want to encourage you that you should, you should write in if you've got questions like that. Um, that's, that's all for today's podcast. But you can always write to me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. And if you've got a great question or you've got something that needs to be clarified from an earlier podcast, then then I may well do it. So you can follow me. Uh, you can write to me there. You can follow the blog, inflationguy.blog. You can follow me on Twitter and at inflation underscore guy. Um, visit the Enduring Investments website, enduringinvestments.com. But above all, don't forget, defend your money. It seems like it needs all more defending these days than it did just a year ago. If inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.